One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. Thank you. And he'd already told me, if you leave me, I will kill you and then I'll go after your friends and family. And because of the level of violence he'd subject me to, I had every reason to believe him. My guest today was a guest of mine at my show, The Stalker, last month, and she made such an impression on not just me but the whole audience that I thought I'd ask her onto my podcast because we literally got around 15 minutes of hearing Kathy's story and we really only skimmed the surface of nearly 20 years of surviving crimes which were committed against her, including being stalked for 10 years after a three-and-a-half-year relationship ended. It was no surprise to me that Cathy was stalked because her former partner had all the hallmarks of a stalker. He was possessive, angry, violent, intimidating, humiliating, controlling, threatening and abusive on so many levels. But if I remember correctly, he was initially quite charming and could be so extremely manipulative. Again, hallmarks of a stalker, one who just can't accept any type of rejection in any way, shape or form. Kathy stayed with this man out of a genuine fear that he would carry out the threats that he would continually make, not only to Kathy, but her family and friends also. She began to slide into a world of hopelessness and helplessness. And when she finally found the courage to go to the authorities, no reports were taken, no referrals were given, just a bit of advice to go to the magistrate's court and speak to the registrar. That was it. And this wasn't the 70s or 80s. This was in 2006. But instead of curling up into a ball and becoming disenchanted and detached from the world that she was living in, Kathy began on a path of redemption, using her experiences as a victim of numerous serious crimes to help others not experience what she has. Kathy discovered 
that there were people and organisations who could support her. And this opened up a whole new world to her, culminating in her making a submission and giving evidence at the 2015 Victorian Royal Commission into Family Violence, which resulted in two of her recommendations being listed, one of which led to the review of the Victims of Crime Assistance Act, which was tabled to Victorian Parliament in 2018. So who is this amazing woman? Let's meet her. So thanks for your time, Cathy. Thanks, Narelle, and uh, it's such an honour to be invited onto your podcast. Uh, look, thank you. We uh, For the listeners, we only met uh, last uh, couple of Saturday nights ago now uh, at, my, uh, at my stalker event and uh, it was just an amazing night but I think what's more amazing is that Kathy got to sleep at about 6am the following morning, didn't you, Kathy? Well, I don't get to go down and catch up with my mates in Melbourne very often these days. You've got to make the most of these social occasions because you never know when the next pandemic's going to hit. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've made up for every pandemic known to man. (laughs) It was just such a genuinely special night, the event with you and then also the people who I was out with afterwards who had attended the event were some of my survivor advocate um, peer community and we headed out afterwards and it was just such a lovely thing to be in the space of of a community of people who just get what you've gone through. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Kathy, it's interesting you say that because I'm a bit the opposite. When I've done a live show, all I really want to do is go back to my hotel room with my sister and just collapse. <laughs> and I don't know, watch a chick flick or something. But, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like... Um, uh, going out I'm just exhausted but I suppose it's a a culmination of you know quite a bit of work but um, I cannot remember the last time I had a a. 6am-er that that is very impressive (laughs) (laughs) honestly is not something I do very often at all so Um, yeah, it was just an anomaly, but yes, a very special night that I, I, I've still got a smile plastered on my face thinking about it. Yeah, well, so have I. It was a special night for me too because just um, I don't know what we shared and uh, just the response that we've uh, we've had from it. It uh, it's funny, you know. I haven't uh, done policing for so long, but now I feel like I'm making a difference, but just in a, in another way. And it's lovely to uh, for that feeling to be reimbursed, I suppose, by what I experienced or what we experienced. Um, at the show it just um, it's um, very humbling to be honest. The show itself was actually a form of restorative justice for me because as you know and we will speak about further I have experienced such a lack of support from police over the years and Mm. um, to be able to um, speak to an audience where I knew that there were both current and former police officers in that and to be able to talk through what my experiences have been, but also reflect on how much has changed for the better. Um, Mm. That was, yeah, an incredible moment to um, be able to do that. Mm. Well, I felt the same. It was uh, very uh, powerful to be up there with you and I just... Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, so on with today. Now, before we start, I, uh, as my listeners know, I'm living up in Echuca, 
and I'm very close to my neighbours. Mm. And we could have um, a bit of a, um, a sing-along with the local dogs. Once one starts, they all start. <laughs> and if that happens, uh, uh, please forgive me, <laughs> but it doesn't go on for long. But I believe you've put your dog. Um, she's all, he or she, uh, they're fed, they're locked in the laundry and hopefully they'll be uh, behave as well, yeah? Yes, Zena loves to sing the song of her people as well, but I've made sure that he's <laughs> nice and settled down with the promise of a big long walk along the bush rail trail after this. Oh, how lovely. All right. Okay, so let's get on with it. So, Kathy, until you were 22, you'd had a pretty non-eventful, happy upbringing in a close family with lots of good times and great memories but that all changed didn't it the day you met a man who would really change your life forever so could you explain uh, to the listeners and to myself what it was about your former partner the stalker which attracted you initially so when I met my stalker and let's just for the sake of ease just call him John so when I met John um I was 22. I'd just come back from taking some time out from uni, travelling around Europe as a backpacker. Um, I was really feeling on top of the world and feeling like that the world was my oyster, that all these opportunities were about to open up and I'd just got myself back into uni and I'd moved into a share house in Brunswick with two of my best female friends. Um, Happened to become aware that um, about 20, 30 metres down the road from the house we're in, um, there was a house of guys um, who were living there who were going to university and were also from the country. And so we all clicked. That was always, that was always going to be trouble, wasn't it, really, <laughs> oh, from the start? Absolutely, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. the, the thing yeah. was there, like, um, you know, as what happens in your 20s and house parties, this is where I actually encountered um, John for the first time. And to be honest, my first impression of him wasn't a good one because um, oh, he'd, okay. he'd smoked a bong, he'd become quite arrogant and he was pontificating on a range of issues and I just thought this guy's an absolute tosser and <laughs> I honestly wish if I could go back in time to that moment just go hold on to this feeling. Um, <laughs> I think we've all done that sometime in our life, yeah. Because <laughs> honestly my first impression of him was the one that, you know, ended up being true. But um, fortunately I happened to meet him on a second occasion subsequently when I was out with um, some of my mates at one of the local pubs at Bridie O'Reilly's there on the corner of Sydney Road. And... Um, I wasn't very happy with one of my best mates because she'd hooked up with the guy that I had a bit of a, um, a crush on um, from uni. And so I was almost thinking about walking home when I noticed that this guy from the party was there, so John, and got chatting. And at this stage, he wasn't stoned. He wasn't intoxicated. And we actually had a really amazing conversation. And I learned that he was studying organic chemistry at university um, that he um, played a number of instruments and that he was from close to where I had grown up. So I grew up on a farm near Ballarat and he grew up in Ararat. And as I was subsequently to find out, our fathers had actually worked together for a period of time. Um, so in terms of what attracted me to him, well, on the one sense, he was so typical of all the guys that I've ever grown up with in terms of he doesn't he didn't pose a threat. He was just a typical country guy. 
But then on the other side of it, the fact that he had this amazing intellect, um, but I like the fact that there was also a bit of a bad boy quality about him because I'd always been <laughs> such a super good girl, always the person obeying all the rules and you know, being the um, the academic and getting such good marks. And I guess there was a bit of me that was attracted to that bad boy quality about him. Um no, lo and behold, that's really, really backfired on me in major ways. Um, so in terms of, um, yeah, the fact that he was incredibly good looking, very charismatic, um, that he was very much loved by his friends and he'd already created a bit of community in, in the Brunswick area. Um, I, there was no initial, apart from that first gut instinct to go, this guy's not a good guy, he put the mask back up and kept that mask on for a little bit before it then slipped with me because like so many perpetrators at that at the beginning of the relationship he really engaged in a lot of love bombing with me in fact it was very intense um, at the beginning to the extent that he was staying over at my place a lot of the time um in fact you know if if my housemates were looking at that, I probably would think, oh, he's actually living with us. Um, and um, the fact that he was so much with me all the time, I was not going to my classes at uni. I was spending so much time with him. Um, but what I didn't know what was happening behind the scenes were the things that he was doing to destabilise the relationships around me and also mm. to very both overtly and covertly, um, isolate and control me. So some things became very apparent, like the fact how he would denigrate me in front of his friends and make jokes at my expense. And I didn't like that, um, but I sort of just like would awkwardly laugh, but I, I, I really felt uncomfortable around it. What I didn't know at the time was that he was also really um, – no, putting me down to my best friends who I'd known all my life and um, it got to a point for them that it was just all too much that they couldn't stand what he was doing to me but also he, he'd caused such damage in my relationship to them that they weren't trusting me. They were thinking all these negative things about me that weren't even actually true um, and those two friendships that had been no, basically 22 years of my life, essentially, he completely destroyed those relationships and I've never been able to reconcile them subsequently, which is really sad. But, yeah, um, so that that's the initial thing because, and, and I say this to a lot of people too, that you wouldn't start a relationship with a, an abusive person if the first thing they do is punch you in the face. Uh, I absolutely wouldn't. I'd never gone through any family violence growing up. I'd had a very idyllic you know, childhood growing up in the country. Um, but the violence didn't commence for months into the relationship, but the abuse commenced fairly fairly shortly, probably within the first month or so. And when you say the abuse, Cathy, do you mean the coercive control? Absolutely. Because, yeah, because I think, uh, you know, many of us can speak about those first couple of months when you meet someone and you just can't really get enough of one another. It's a lovely stage. And I do think that you 
become in love with the thought of being in love and, and the feeling of being in love and you can make a lot of excuses but clearly there were things looking back it's easy to say that that was happening but at the time as you say you just tend to I don't know, make all sorts of excuses. Oh, he's drunk or he's stoned or, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But so when did you notice the relationship changing and, and it got from him, oh, I don't know, um, making fun of you in front of your friends to something more than just making fun of you? When did that change? Absolutely. So as I said, I didn't feel comfortable about a range of his behaviours in those first couple of months, but I didn't know how to actually articulate to him to stop those. Um, Mm. So the point which really scared me significantly was was a day where at the time he was actually working at a fruit and vegetable shop um, at a shopping centre in Brunswick um, that was run by an Italian family. Um, now, quite significantly, this was a, an Italian family very embedded in the um, underworld and involved in drug trafficking, which became quite mm. significant later. But at that point in time, like in those first couple of months, I had zero awareness. I'm just thinking he's going off to work at the fruit and veggie shop. I walked with him across there and we got engaged in some sort of argument about I still I can't recall what it was some inconsequential topic that we were arguing about um and we're walking down this laneway and he pulls a knife on me now the knife it was is a Stanley knife because he would use that on the the vegetable boxes when he's like you know packing them up um so there was a reason why he had this knife on him um but the fact that he had no he put the blade out and he was chasing me with it it absolutely scared the hell out of me and I, I ran back home and this was before my two female friends had moved out and I, I was just an absolute mess. Now, he went off to work and I, I was just like, oh, I can't stay in this and my friends were very much reinforcing, yes, you have to leave him. And after he'd finished his shift, he came over and was like, can I talk to you? And he did the thing that so many perpetrators do. He was so remorseful. Oh, well, I don't know what came over me. Um, I'll never do it again. And then he talked to me and opened up about some things that I guess was also a tipping point going forward of what allowed me to, I guess, um, excuse a lot of the stuff he did towards me over the the three and a half years we're together in that he opened up about something he told me that he'd never spoken to anyone about at that point and was that was that when he'd moved to Melbourne a year or two earlier that um, he'd been living out in Heidelberg with a friend and they'd been walking through a park out there and um, that a group of guys um, encountered them and they got beaten up by this group of guys but not only just beaten up, they got gang raped by them. Um, and that that had resulted in him being in hospital with a lot of severe injuries. And um, up until that point, he'd never really been involved in any fighting. Um, But the damage from the injuries caused from those assaults um, had also really impacted um, the types of instruments he could now play. So he used to be able to play a bigger variety. And this for him was just such a horrific thing. He'd never, even when he was in the the hospital bed, been even able to tell 
the the hospital staff. He hadn't been able to tell the police at the time um, because he was just too ashamed of what had happened. And being the empathetic, compassionate person I am, I was obviously horrified to hear that he'd gone through this. And he then explained that this aggression that had evolved for him in him was came from a part of him that basically felt that he had to get people before they got him now. So that fear of that assault had had such a huge impact and he'd never had a chance to see any counsellor about it. So I was taking on board being the first person he'd disclosed it to but also struggling with the fact you've, you've just done this really awful thing to me. Um, and so I guess throughout that three and a half years I was with him, like I really at the one time was not excusing what he was doing to, to me specifically, but I had empathy for the fact that he was a victim survivor himself. Hmm. And, you know, Cathy, that is a, a, from my point of view, that is a very, very, uh, what's that word, typical sign. That is being very manipulative because what he's doing is he's sharing personal, he's trying to make up for what he's done, I suppose, and he wants you, I believe, to feel sorry for him and want to comfort him. And by him sharing this with you, it it does, it makes you feel very special that he is sharing this thing that he's never told anybody with. And so you start to, I imagine, in your own head, start to make excuses for why he did that, why he got angry, so that you can then almost um, accept his apology. Would that? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mm-hmm. actually don't know if he hadn't have had that discussion with me on that day and disclosed what he did that I would have probably not continued any further in the relationship. Um, yeah. But it was a huge thing to hear that sort of disclosure and I guess it left me very confused myself about, you know, what I was feeling about what he'd done to me but also about how to support him with something that was so significant. And um, that definitely raised its head a number of times because he, what the impact of that assault had, it, it made him feel like he had to actually deliver a form of vigilante-style justice to others. Yes. And yep. outside of what he was doing to me in the relationship for the three and a half years of just sheer horrific violence, he would justify things that he did to members of the public, like throwing them down sets of stairs and breaking people's legs as he needed to do this to this person because they had done wrong to someone else and know that he needed to be the person to deliver the justice, Um, which it wasn't his place at all. It was a very arrogant thing to believe, but he put on this image on the outside of being like this lovable, charismatic um, person. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And that everyone sort of really got along with so well. But mm. what I saw behind the scenes in, at home was him with that mask off. He was very much that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of person. And something I experienced with him, I've only experienced um, since with um, my second perpetrator, and that's in terms of how his eyes would change. So when I knew I was going to be exposed to the worst of the worst of his violence towards me, like, for example, when he would um, hold me up against a wall with his hands around my throat, choking me to the point of unconsciousness, I would look in his eyes and they would have changed, and they were, he had blue eyes, but it would go, his eyes would go completely black like shark eyes. And I, as I said, like I've only seen that yet again with my second perpetrator who I was with for six and a half years. The same thing would happen to him when he was at that point of being so wound up to, and that was the point I knew I was going to be seriously hurt. Um, so with John, this first perpetrator, um, during that time I was with him, he was, as I said, able to be very successful in isolating me from my um, friends and family. Um, so when he um, alienated me from my two female friends to the point that they moved out, he then moved his two younger brothers in. So he was 22 at, at the same age as me at, when we first got together. So his brothers were a few years younger and um, they completely idolised him. They didn't question him at all to the point that, he would have me on the ground kicking me in front of them and they would not intervene. There were so many people like his brothers who saw the violence throughout the relationship 
or heard him being verbally and emotionally abusive towards me and did not intervene or say anything or did not even take me aside later and say, look, what he's doing is wrong. And the impact of that on me to have people who were witnessing me being kicked, choked, burned, um, and that's just the things that were happening in front of people, um, let alone behind closed doors, that I, I started to become feeling really invisible. Um, it, it was intensified when I actually started disclosing to services. Like I, I actually, the first place I disclosed to was my local GP clinic and I did a, a number of times when I'd had different injuries and I'd actually explicitly say to them, the reason I have this injury is because um, my partner has done this to me and they just didn't actually acknowledge or validate what I'd just told them about being abused and being violently assaulted. All they would do is focus on the injury and actually say nothing about the disclosure and I would never get any referral. And in my 20s, I didn't know that there was specialist family violence services and I can say to this day that if anyone had given me a number to a service that understood these issues, I would have called it because I just kept thinking, I'm telling people I'm going through this, people are seeing that I'm going through this, but no one seems to care. Mm. You know, the interesting thing about what you've just said then is it it proves to me that it wasn't just a police uh, uh, response like, oh, I'll go to the magistrate's court, which you'll talk about in a minute, but, you know, just go to a magistrate's talk uh, court and talk to somebody there. Not only were the police uh, almost not interested or not wanting to ask or get involved, whatever it be, ignoring you, but also you've just highlighted there that a doctor, a medical practitioner, has also ignored the, the the very question that anybody should be asking, are you okay? Is Can I help you? What is going on? What do you need? Like, so it was almost across the community. It, it's not just and police. It, no, and it wasn't just singular doctor. It was multiple doctors at the same clinic. And this is the thing too about the type of clinic that I went to. It was one of those bulk billing ones where each time you go you get whichever doctor's on duty. Um, yeah, but the thing is if you've got consistency of case notes and they're saying that you're presenting with injuries over a period of time and that you're consistently stating these are injuries as a result of being assaulted by your partner, they should be noting that and that should trigger a red flag for a discussion and that never happened. But as you said, it wasn't just the GP. It was mm. you know, his mm. friends, my friends, um, members of the broader community, and then obviously the police. And the first time um, I involved the police in this, and I had never called the police in my life up until this moment. It was actually my birthday on my 23rd birthday. And all I wanted to do on this day was go and see a movie. And for whatever reason, he decided that this isn't something he wanted me to do. Um, like I, I wanted him to come to the movie as well. It wasn't about me saying oh, I'm going to go off and <laughs> see a movie by myself. Um, yeah. But for whatever reason, this sparked an incredibly huge argument. And 
um, to the point that he was preventing me from leaving the house and it then escalated to the point where, um, and now this was your typical um, old style um, uh, terrace house in Brunswick, so it was two storeys. so at some point I'd managed to get myself up into what was my bedroom there and barricade myself against the door. So there was a fireplace there that I could put my legs up against the fireplace and my back against the door and jam myself between the two. And he was there kicking the door and you know, basically screaming at me, you know, if you um, don't open the door, I'm going to shoot you because I knew he had a gun on him at that point. And the reason he had a gun was because of the fact that by this stage he was quite open about the work he was doing at that Italian fruit and vegetable shop was not just the fruit and vegetable work, it was the after-hours work and he was dealing drugs on behalf of um, those underworld figures. Um, Like he was very low level on on their food chain but it meant um, that he'd got to a level of confidence in his offending there that he didn't even care about having people ring our home phone to do deals. He would have at times over 20 kilos of um, cannabis sitting in our house and there was one time where he had over 500 ecstasy pills and he literally didn't care less what impact that might have on me or his two younger brothers. So I'd say to him, like, um, no, if the police arrive and see all this, they're not going to believe that your brothers and me have got nothing to do with this. He's like, he's just telling me to shut the fuck up. That's what's happening. Um, and, yeah, so as part of what he was doing, um, you know, for these criminals, he was asked to hold on to unregistered firearms on their behalf and this is why this firearm was in the house on that day. And um, so it was at that point in my life I didn't actually have a mobile phone yet we did in that house have one of those old school like the cordless ones where it's got the handset that you can take off the you know the base and walk around with it and it, just by some miracle I happened to have the handset in my bedroom at that moment and it, with what he was yelling at me I just had this moment of going I have to call triple zero because I do not want my family to have to come and find my dead body <laughs> so yeah I called triple zero thinking I just I just want to get out of here and well it felt like forever but I think it was probably around about 30 to 40 minutes before the police showed up and I was very clear in what I said to triple zero about there being a firearm so when he opened the door to the police so it was downstairs um but from the acoustics of the house, I could hear everything that was being said and I could hear from the movement around what where they were going in the house. And he was oh he just went totally into charm mode and did the the buddy buddy thing of saying, Oh, we just had a silly argument. There's nothing really going on here. Don't no, worry about it. it. Just very much minimizing it. So these two male police officers come upstairs and knock on the door of the room and identify themselves and um from what I'd heard, like they hadn't actually talked about the firearm to him. They hadn't actually sought to look for it. They didn't even bring it up with me for any of the time they were with me. And so they were saying to me, what do you want? And I said, I, <gasps> in that moment, I just wanted to get out of that house. And I was just like, I just need to get out of here. Um, so I think I just grabbed a couple of things and as they took me off in the police vehicle. And now I've got 
quite serious injuries at that point. Like, for example, my whole back was black from where he'd been kicking the door into me and all these other things that he'd done. Um, and at, at that moment I was just like, well, because um, I didn't have a vehicle in my early 20s, I said, well, um, my family live in the country, um, maybe drop me off at the you know, Southern Cross Station or, or I can go back home to the country. Um, they didn't take me to the hospital to get seen for my injuries. They didn't refer me on to any family violence support, like at that time was the Women's Domestic Violence <sighs> Service. Um, they did nothing to hold him accountable. Like he wasn't arrested, he wasn't searched, um, my neighbours weren't spoken to, and I know how loudly I was screaming in all of this. Nothing was done. And so... It sounds like they couldn't wait to get rid of you. Yeah, I, I did really feel like I was an imposition in this. And they didn't talk to me in terms of that whole trip from Brunswick to Southern Cross Station about the firearm yeah. at all. So I got out at um, Southern Cross and, you know, this will probably astound people who haven't experienced family violence, but the level of coercive control he had over me at that point, because this is a person by this point, I'd actually tried to leave a number of times already and he'd already told me, if you leave me, I will um, kill you and then I'll go after your friends and family. And because of the level of violence he'd subjected me to, I had every reason to believe him. So there at Southern Cross Station, I was just like, I can't go home because I hadn't actually told my family what was going on and I didn't feel ready to at that moment. Um, so I just got on a train and went straight back to Brunswick, straight back to the house because I thought my life is not worth living unless I return there and also I, I'm too scared to have something happen to the people I love. Mm, and yeah. as well as that, no, and this is a mater materialistic thing, the house the lease was in my name and a majority of the furniture was stuff that my family had provided. And I just thought I just wouldn't know how to explain to a real estate agent and my family if he just goes on a big orgy of destruction in the house. Um, so I just thought, no, I'll go back. I'll face whatever I've got to face. And as it turned out, <laughs> what I faced when I went back was being bashed within an inch of my life and choked to a point of unconsciousness. And then he used the fact that of the police doing literally nothing to hold him accountable as a form of psychological abuse for the remainder of the three and a half years we were together because what he would say to me would be, so you're going to call the police, aren't you? I will go ahead, call them. What did they do last time? Oh, nothing. Go ahead, call them. And so it was very effective in, in a method of controlling me from not calling the police. You know, I was going to ask you um, to tell me about the fear that you felt and what he did and how he manipulated you into staying in the relationship. But with what you've just explained then, um, I completely understand why and how you did stay because you were so frightened of what he could do and, you know, really I, I, I uh, concur with you that he, he probably could have and uh, it was fear that why you stayed 
Oh, I got to. I didn't. The, I was definitely didn't stay with him for love. Like I think God, it, no. it felt yeah. with him very much like a Stockholm syndrome at many times. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it absolutely was out of fear because you know it was the mind games he'd play he'd be like oh I don't want to be with you I want to break up you're useless you're a fat horse slut all the all the words I've had them all put it to me like um and so he'd be like yeah go and I'm like okay and I'd actually get the packing boxes and I'd start to pack and then he'd come up with a knife to my throat and be like if you go I'm gonna you know slit your throat and bury you in the backyard and it, and it just got to a point, honestly, where there were three occasions that I actually attempted suicide within that three and a half years because, and I thought about it even more than three times, but three times I actually did attempt because in my mind was like, I can't escape this. Like if I leave him, he's going to hunt me down and then hurt people I love. But if I kill myself, then it's over. You were trapped. Oh, Kathy. So, Kathy, after this three and a half years, I'm just giving you a bit of time to get yourself yeah. together. I can hear it's difficult. Anytime you need a break, you just tell me, okay? It's okay um, thank you. No worries. So, in that, at the end of that three and a half years, how did you actually extricate yourself from that relationship? So in the last year of the relationship, and it really, I guess, have to, I have to thank um, the landlords in the second house. Oh, well, we, we lived in three houses together um, in a sense. The, the first one was the two-storey terrace house with his brothers, and then the brothers wanted to go off and live their lives, so we didn't want to keep paying rent on this big house, so we moved into a a smaller unit elsewhere, but that particular unit's where um, he broke my finger. But even before he broke my finger, the very first night of moving into the new apartment, um, his way of christening the new apartment, well, in my mind, I was like, oh, we've got a bath. And in the, the terrace house, we hadn't had a bath. So I was so excited to go and have a bath in this unit in our new place that it was going to be just us, not us and the brothers. Mm-hmm. But he decided to ruin that very first night in that new apartment by, you know, picking an argument and then he put me through the plasterboard of the hallway um, so there was a big hole in it. And so the first thing I have to do with moving into a new place is organise because the responsibility fell on me. I had to pay for getting that fixed of the hole that he created with my body. Um, mm-hmm. And then a couple of months later, you know, we were there and, He's decided that, um, like, that I wanted to have a conversation with him about something, but I wanted his full attention. So I asked him either to turn the TV off or turn it down, something like that. And um, yet again, that's not what he wanted to do in that moment. And I think I picked up the remote to do it myself. And that's when he broke my finger. Um, and I actually asked him to leave that apartment. I didn't call the police. Who I called at that point was one of my cousins who lived in the area and she gave me support. But after that, he didn't really live with me as such. He'd come and stay with me. Um, But then that particular house I moved out of because the landlords wanted to move their son in. So 
they did me in a way a huge favour because no longer was I then on a lease with him because the next place I moved into, which is the place I then stayed in for 16 years, I deliberately chose a place that I could afford by myself that I didn't yeah, have to yeah. rely on anyone else. So it was 2004 I moved into that unit and that was also the year things finally ended with him. So I'd been bit by bit moving myself out of that dependence on him um, and also really I guess the veil had truly fallen from my eyes in the reality of who he was and people will, I guess, I'm not going to say laugh, but the end of it was in a way fairly inconsequential in the sense there wasn't some big argument as such. It was just um, my older brother at the time is going through serious health issues, which he does struggle with, and was in hospital with something that was potentially life-threatening. And um, I was saying to John, I said, oh, I want to go to the Alfred Hospital and visit my brother. Will you come with me? And because of how serious the health incident was, I really yeah. wanted his moral support because I knew it was going to be pretty intense what I was going to be facing at the hospital. And his response to me was, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not my idea of fun. No, I'm not coming. He goes, I've visited your brother in hospital for. I'm not going to. And I was just in a state of shock in that moment because I was just like, if this was any member of his family that was in a similar circumstance and he asked me to come with him and I responded that same way, I would have been absolutely, my life wouldn't have been worth living. Um, yeah, and I, that actually gave me the strength in that moment of all things to say to him, so for the last few months you've been saying you want to be with me and then you don't want to be with me. So what are you feeling at the moment? Do you actually still want to be in this relationship? Just being, I was just totally calm. And he said, no, I don't. I said, okay, that's fine. So um, you've got a few things at my place. I'll drop them back off to where you live. And um, yeah, okay, fair enough. It's it's over. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, my God, it's over. It's <laughs> over. And there hasn't been a big blow up. There's nothing. It's just very anticlimactic. Um, but it wasn't over from his perspective because from his perspective then he lost control and power over me and he commenced stalking from a week later and then he continued to stalk me and harass me um, quite seriously for 10 years and that was a whole other journey of hell for me. Next week, Cathy takes us through the inroads that police have made regarding their response to domestic and family violence, as opposed to the inadequate responses, <laughs> plural, that she received when she initially tried to report her perpetrator's abusive behaviours. She was treated with respect, she was believed, and the perpetrator was interviewed and charged as opposed to last time when nothing was done. Uh, I wonder how Cathy's life would have turned out had she been believed that first time that she tried to report the crimes committed upon her by her perpetrator. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's 
the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. <laughs> Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.